0: Good morning, Joy Church! How are you doing today? Good to see you guys. Man, I am torn as I told First Service because we're starting a brand new series and I'm really pumped about it. But man, worship was so good today. God's presence is here. We're worshiping together. It's an amazing time. So I was like tempted, cut the sermon, let's keep singing. You know, the band doesn't like that because they're like, we don't know what songs you want us to do. But I was tempted, but honestly, um, the reason I'm torn is because starting this new series called You've Heard It Said, we're talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and we're talking about three chapters. I went five, but it's three. Three chapters, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7 is what is called the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives really his manifesto of what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, what it means to follow God. And as I've been studying this and, and getting into this over the past few weeks and months, man, I've just been getting more and more pumped and excited because I believe this is going to be an absolute game changer in our walk with the Lord. That if we will press into this series, press into what the, to the Word of God, press into what Jesus is saying and what He's after in these three chapters, His Sermon on the Mount, um, it, it's going to be an absolute game changer. So, are you excited about that? Yes. Uh, we're, we're so excited. Um, I want to I give you a big ask. And I said ask with a K, in case you heard me wrong. Big ask with a K. Uh, just say the words five, six, seven. Five, six, seven, okay, get that embedded in your mind because Matthew chapter five, six, and seven. Here's what I want to ask you to do. This is my request, my challenge to you that as we go through this series, I don't know how long it's going to last. I can't tell you when it's going to end. You're like, you're the pastor, you should know. I don't know. So just don't ask me. But as long as we're in this series, here's what I want to challenge you to do read Matthew chapter five, six, and seven, those three chapters from start to finish, at least once per week while we are in this series. And I believe that God will speak something to you, do something in you as you do that. And here's why. Um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is one of those things that, it, that I think if you've been following Jesus for maybe more than five minutes, you feel familiar. Like I grew up in church, I've been a Christian a very long time, and I've heard these words, I've heard these passages, maybe not all in one moment, but like taught different times. Judge not lest you be judged. Blessed are the, you know, the poor in spirit. How many of you are familiar with some of these words you know we hear you've heard it said like we have the title of this series but I say and we sort of have this familiarity with the Sermon on the Mount and that's good but the problem with it is that if we're too familiar we can we can basically uh, lose the forest for the trees because this is a sermon this is a message recorded by uh, Jesus disciple Matthew Levi he was a tax collector a Jewish man called by Jesus to be his disciple, and he collected this, this sermon. Now, it could be one sitting, one sermon, or it could have been a collection of Jesus' messages kind of distilled and brought down to the essence of what Jesus taught. But it's an absolute game changer, and if we if we look at it in the context of five, six, and seven together, so many things that you might be familiar with or think you understand or grasp but like, this has been my journey uh, studying this out, what I found is that I was missing the forest for the trees. Like I was seeing these individual passages, seeing these individual verses and going, okay, I get it. I, I don't get it. I'm going to apply it uh, as I, as I kind of see it. And when I saw the whole sermon, five, six, seven, I realized Jesus was building something, building on itself, building in it. And so will you do that with me? Read those three chapters as we go through. It's going to be awesome. So as I said, the Sermon on the Mount is what I would call Jesus' manifesto. Um, There are so many Jesuses, you know, Jesus, the woke Jesus. There's the Jesus of social justice. There's the Jesus of God just wants me to be happy. I can do whatever I want. We create different forms of Jesus, but the biblical Jesus is a real historical figure and he's the one that we need to connect with. And the real Jesus is shockingly transparent. Uh, He's kind of brutal. Like to be honest with you, if you don't finish today's sermon and the rest of the sermons in this series and be uncomfortable when you walk out of here, I probably didn't do a very good job. Because I'll tell you what, me just sitting there in my chair, studying this out, reading, praying about this, looking at the words of Jesus, I had various moments. I'll tell you a very transparent moment I had with the Lord. I said, God, this scares the hell out of me. And I wasn't cursing. I was actually saying this scares The part of me that is drawn to this world, that is bringing me down, like what Jesus is saying here as I wrestle with this and and I want to be faithful to follow it, it's scaring the hell out of me like it's doing something in my life. And I believe Jesus will do that for you as you go through this. But these words are provocative. The sermon covers the vast majority of life. We talk about, and we're going to talk about this today, sin and forgiveness. We're going to talk about murder and hatred. We're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about divorce. Like somebody will get offended today, okay? I promise. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't say you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you comfortable. He said you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So there's something about getting it right from the horse's mouth, and you don't get any more horsey than Jesus. Like he is the messenger. He is the spokesperson for what God wants to say, what God intends you guys, I'm sorry, I'm not passionate. I'm just, I don't, I'm not into this. I'm like out of breath. Can I just take a moment We <sighs> calm down a little bit? This is life-changing stuff. I want to start at the end, kind of work our way back. At the end of chapter 7, this is the end of this sermon, Matthew says this, When Jesus had finished these things, saying these things, his sermon on the mount, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike their teachers of religious law. This word amazed in another translation, is the word astonished. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 and 29. This word that Matthew is using, it means to strike out of mind. And so what Matthew is saying here when he says they were amazed, they were astonished, he's saying, when Jesus finished talking, their minds were blown. That's what he's saying. When Jesus finished talking, their minds were absolutely blown. Why? Because he told amazing jokes? No. Because... He said things that they'd never, ever heard before? No, not necessarily. He gives us the reason. He says it's because he taught with authority, not like they're teachers of religious law, not like they're, they're preachers, not like the people that would teach them, you know, this is what God says. And here's why. Because in this sermon, Jesus elevates himself to the level of the law. He elevates himself to the level of Moses and even to the level of God. Because as we're going to see, he says, you've heard it said, this is what the law of Moses says, but I say, and he puts himself personally into this place of authority. And so their minds were blown because of what he said. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we get what's called the golden rule. And I believe this is the key to understanding these three chapters and understanding this sermon. It's kind of like the thread that weaves through it all. Like this is the key that sort of unlocks the insight to what Jesus is really up to and saying in these three chapters that he's saying in various ways and, and covering different topics. Because it's very broad in what he covers. He talks about forgiveness, and he talks about sexuality. He talks about marriage. He talks about divorce. He talks about uh, spiritual uh, attitudes or spiritual uh, condition. We call them the Beatitudes. And he goes all over the map. But here's what kind of ties it all together. Jesus says, do to others whatever you would like them to do to you. This is the essence of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. We call it the golden rule. I think the golden rule, a lot of people think is he that has the gold makes the rules. That's not the golden rule. This is the real golden rule. But I think for clarity, what I would like us to know it as is the law of love. Because Jesus is going to compare and contrast Moses' law. He's going to compare and contrast human understanding of what it means to be right with God and he's going to contrast it with this attitude this driving motivating force that from the inside out I wouldn't just want to do the right stuff and check boxes and kind of be okay with God but from the inside out I'd be this type of a person that would apply this law of love to everything that I do and Jesus says if you want to understand the essence or what the law and the prophets I mean you got to realize this is 2,000 or even more than that 6,000 years of Jewish history they had over 613 commands out of the Torah plus the prophets that spoke into this and these Jewish listeners were absolutely obsessed and connected with this idea that to be right with God, you had to get God's law. They called them the words of life. And and, and bring that into your understanding and then live it out. They were were so connected with this and Jesus says, let me sum it up in one sentence. This golden rule, this law of love. I believe what happens here in this Sermon on the Mount is a complete and total paradigm shift. Can we get my picture of our our first picture? Let's throw that up there. What, What do you see? Shout it out. Duck. Who sees a duck? Raise your hand. What, what else do you see? A rabbit. a rabbit. Who sees the rabbit? Raise your hand. Who sees both? Who doesn't see a rabbit at all? Who does not see a duck? Okay, this is weird, huh? This is a, one of those images that shows us the idea of paradigm and a paradigm shift. So if you look here, this is the bill of the duck. There's the duck's eye. So if you see, that's the duck bill, and the duck is kind of looking up for those that are rabbit people. Raise your hand, my rabbit people. Okay, rabbit people. Okay, duck people, raise your hand. Do you see the rabbit? Okay, that's the, rat, the bunny's ears sticking up and there's his eye and, and he's kind of looking the other direction. Okay, that's fun. Go to the next one. Who sees the, uh, who sees the young woman? Who sees the old woman? Okay, a few people, less old women's ears here. Who sees both? Okay, so you can check this out later, but basically by shifting your perspective, by shifting your paradigm, you can actually see a different image. Now, what we're talking about in the Sermon on the Mount, and as I'm going to share with you, Jesus doesn't eliminate, he does not say, get rid of the law, God's standards don't matter, you know, holiness and righteousness don't matter, do it my way, I'm inventing a new way. In fact, he says the opposite. He says, I didn't come to abolish, I came to fulfill, and we're going to talk about that. And what happens as we connect with what Jesus says is we have a paradigm shift where we realize God never lowers his standards. Let me say that again. God never lowers his standards. One of the most common misunderstandings that Christians have is that in some, uh, some way that when Jesus, you know, you receive Jesus, that God basically says, well, sin doesn't matter. The really horrible things that have happened in the world, they don't really matter. And God sort of magically makes it disappear. That is not the story of the Bible. That is not the gospel. The gospel says sin actually matters so much to God that he had to send his son as a sacrifice and actual blood had to be shed to pay for all the nonsense and the destruction and death that came in because of sin. So this idea of anti-law, it's called anti-nominianism. I can't say it. I need help. But anyways, I know what it means. This idea of, of anti-law, like there's no law when you're in Christ, there's no law. That, that's actually not true. Jesus says, I didn't come to get rid of the law. What I want to do is frame the law, give you a paradigm shift and a way to see it so you understand what God actually intended through his law. And so this is the paradigm shift that we're going to go through. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 17 Jesus says, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven." And then he puts a little disclaimer sticker on this and he says this, and this is a this one is a little tough for me. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying the people that you know to be the best Christians, the people that are the most religious, the most pure, the word Pharisee means pure. Pharisees in our day and age are kind of known as religious jerks, but actually in this day and age, they were just people that really wanted to follow God's law. Now, some of them took it too far and whatever, but your average Pharisee wasn't like a big jerk. There was somebody who just like had a heart to follow God's law. And so Jesus says, I want you to think about the goodiest two-shoes you possibly can. Like how many of you know, we all have that person that we aspire to be like, and then the person in church that you're sitting next to that you're like, I'm better than them, right? We all have our little hierarchy, okay, of righteousness. Well, Jesus is saying, think about the most goody two-shoes, the person that you think prays in tongues when they're sleeping. You know, the person that like knows all the words to all the Petra songs, you know, and all the Carmen songs, like the really oversaved, goody goody-two-shoes Christian. Think about that person. If your righteousness is not better than theirs, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm not here to lower the standard. I'm not here to drop the bar. I'm not here to tell you you're a failure and then that's okay. It's all good. He says, That's not what I'm here to do. In fact, I'm going to elevate it. You've got to be better than you even think you need to be. And you're like, What is this, this message? Well, wait for it, because he's going to talk about what it means to connect with this standard, with this elevated idea of righteousness, what we call this law of love. Jesus does this in the next part of this message, where he pulls very skillfully six weighty familiar commands from the law of Moses some of them connect to the 10 commandments others just connect to one of the 613 laws that are part of the Torah the law of Moses that these Jewish people would have known from birth and and have studied and and understand and so Jesus goes into six things and in case you were bored in church we're going to talk about murder we're going to talk about sex we're going to talk about divorce we're going to talk about all this stuff okay You, you ready so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 21, you've heard it said, that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And they would have all been like, yes, and we're for that. You know, we're anti-murder. Like, we're good with that one, Lord. Like, yes, you're right. And then Jesus elevates his authority. He says, but I, but I tell you, I say, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. What, Jesus, what are you talking about judgment? I thought you were like, grace, grace, grace. Hey, judgment? I don't like that word. That makes my inner child uncomfortable. Okay, this is Jesus, okay? He says if, you, if you're angry, you're going to face judgment. But he's not finished. He says again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha is answerable to the court. This word racha means you're nothing. It means empty. That's literally the word, empty. You're you're nothing. Right? I'm dismissing you. You're meaningless. You're worthless. You're nothing. Jesus says if you have this, you say that word that comes out of you, you're answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. (laughs) What? Why is Jesus talking about hell? I thought this is the 21st century. I thought we, got away, we did away with that idea of hell. Well, no. This is the words of Jesus. This isn't your precious moments, Jesus. This is the Jesus Jesus, like the real guy. And when they were like, what did he teach? He talked about hell. Now, we're not going to go into the nature of hell and all of that today. I've preached about this before. But Jesus is saying, you call somebody a nothing. You have this anger in your heart, this hate in your heart. You're in danger of the court." If you call somebody a fool, which is saying you're Godless, what this is actually saying when you call somebody a fool is you're saying, you're destined to be without God. You're not going to make it. You're, you're, you're going to go the other. I'm going to heaven, you're going to hell. It's like saying, I've written you off as a person. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and they remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Jesus says, if you're in church. And you're standing there and you're singing Waymaker, Miracle Worker and then in your head comes I have a a fractured relationship with with somebody in my life. Get the words of that worship song out of your mouth. Leave your gift at the altar. Walk out of the room and deal with your business because God doesn't want your worship if he doesn't have your fidelity of your heart. He doesn't want your right behavior. He wants you to be the type of person that he made you to be and so Jesus says hold on you've heard it said don't murder and we all agree with that like I'm not going to take a poll because I don't really want to know if you did murder somebody today just you deal with that with the authorities right but I haven't I can just I think I mean I'm going to think back to the rest of my day yeah I haven't so every day for me like I'm you know at this point in my life I haven't murdered anybody okay and that doesn't make me holier than thou but that's just where I'm at okay so I can check that box and say yeah, I haven't murdered anybody, and what Jesus listeners and what we do is we go, well, see, I've made the standard, I've I made the cut, Coach. I didn't murder anybody today, and Jesus says you're not even getting it. It's not about murder. If you've been angry in your heart, if you've said to somebody you're worthless, if you've said to somebody you're not going to make it, if you had the seed of anger in your heart, it's the same as the tree of murder. And God cares about your heart. How many times do we hear this in church? Oh, God. He just looks at your heart. And what we, we say that as a way to dismiss bad behavior. You know, they murdered nine people, but they have a good heart. It's like whenever the guy goes postal, people are like, you know, he's a pretty nice guy at work. <laughs> you had 19 affairs, but you know, they basically have a good heart. No, you don't have a good heart. Because what Jesus says later in the Sermon on the Mount is that out of the tree of our life, the fruit that comes out is reflective of what's in there. Yeah. When I'm yelling at my kids because I'm having an anal moment because I'm upset because they spilled milk on the counter. I'm like, rah, 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 and freaking out. Guess what that's teaching my children and what it's telling me? My heart is angry. My heart is grumpy. Well, Jake's basically a good heart. No, I don't have a good heart. So what Jesus is talking about, is that the seed inside of your heart, maybe you didn't murder somebody, but if you have anger against another person, if you've got hate in your heart for people, if when you drive on the road, you feel morally Uh, uh, okay to just say oh you're worthless you're nothing like Jesus is saying no no that's not what God intended that's not the law of love and he goes on how many of you feel a little bit convicted I do I mean this is convicting Jesus says you didn't murder someone but that's not the standard yeah you shouldn't murder people that's the bare minimum but but God wants to get murder out of your heart God wants to get hate out of your heart Jesus talks about sex and lust. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh. (laughs) How many of us would have to put our Bible down and say, Jesus, will you forgive me for the sin of adultery? You know, marriage is not hey Bethany, I'm home from work today and guess what? I didn't have an affair today. That's like the bare minimum but it doesn't include the intimacy and the joy and the trust and the conversation and the the purposeful relationship and yet we've turned our relationship with God and our relationship with others into box checking if I meet the minimum standard and Jesus says, wait a second, don't write yourself off the hook because you didn't murder someone because you didn't have an affair today. He says, if you have lusted after a woman or women, he's using the male pronoun here, but it's also applicable to you. If you've lusted after a man, what you have done when we lust is we've taken another image bearer, made in the image of God a brother or a sister. We're supposed to think about the opposite sex as a brother or a sister. And we're supposed to hold them with regard that God regards them and not objectify them and turn them into an object to fulfill my sexual desires in a momentary thing and diminish and degrade and bring that person down. And Jesus says, maybe you didn't hop into bed. Maybe you didn't do the act. You didn't do the dirty deed, but you have a dirty heart. And what you're doing is diminishing and demeaning somebody else who is made in the image of God. This is so convicting. Because instead of being like, yeah, I haven't had an affair. I'm good. Look how righteous I am. Jesus says, look at your worthless heart. Look at that rotten heart, you. God just cares about your heart. Yeah, he does. He wants to root out the, 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 the seeds of sin that destroy you and hurt other people. When we look at our broken, flawed world, it's because people are broken and flawed. And we can't just write it off. The hope of the gospel is not that we just go to heaven when we die. The hope of the gospel is that the gospel, the kingdom of God, the spirit of God, could come and live on the inside of broken, flawed human beings. And maybe they can make some progress as they pursue Jesus to stop demeaning and diminishing their fellow brothers and sisters made in the image of God. And so Jesus goes on. He says, if your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. Okay. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. Why does this Jesus guy keep talking about going to hell? I just feel so uncomfortable by this message. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off, and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Now, I want to make a note that we don't have New Testament Christians showing up 20, 30, 40, 50 years later to preach the gospel with one eye. Hey, everybody, I'm Paul. I'm here to preach the gospel. I lusted, and I followed Jesus' sermon, so I gouged my eye out. You know, Paul wasn't a pirate. He had both eyes, as far as we understand Peter and John weren't showing up to preach the gospel with like, you know, hey, one hand, you know, because they cut their hand off. So what I'm saying here is that there's some hyperbole. Uh, Jesus is using the range of language here to describe that you should be pretty serious about dealing with what is bringing you to the place where you feel like you have the right as a created being made in the image of God to take a woman or to take a man and in the secret place of your heart, uh, rape them with your fantasies. I want you to think about your wife, your husband. Do you want someone else in this fellowship, in this illustrious congregation to undress them in their heart and minds? And the answer is no. How about your innocent, pure, beautiful children? Do you want someone to look at them as an object and God says, you're all my children. So I'm not okay with this. You can't do this. This isn't this isn't what I've intended. And, and, and here are these religious people and all of us going, well, I didn't commit adultery today. Well, even if you're here today and you did commit adultery, guess what? You're not worse than those of us who did it in our mind. This is why when we talk about the cross, there's, there's no tears. There's no stands like, okay, first place, getting saved. Second place, because I'm more righteous. And then third place, and then the guy who's like trying to get there before the doors close. There, there is no trophy line at the foot of the cross we all come as sinners whether it's we did the dirty deed or we did the dirty deed in our heart because jesus says that root in there is what i'm after are you with me and so jesus is talking about the fact that with lust with these things there needs to be a seriousness like there needs to be a gouging your eye out response when lust has got a hold of you it's not a human right to have an iphone so if you can't use it and follow jesus gouge it out. Yeah, it's, it's not a human right to have a Netflix account. As a society, we have made lust. Our, we're, not even, we're not even like hiding it. We're proud of it. And Jesus says, it's serious. Not because he's saying, you're so dirty, you're so bad, you're so rotten. No, he's saying, look, you're demeaning. You're, you're taking the personhood of another brother or sister and you're using them in your heart for your own selfish purposes or whatever and you're, you're missing out. Now ultimately what that leads to is, as we know, you can never fulfill the, the, the need in your heart. Whatever lust or sex or whatever is trying to pull you to and fill that need or medicate or whatever that pain, it's only fulfilled by Christ. So he, he, he knows also, it's not just that it's evil and bad, but it will ultimately leave you high and dry. Yeah. Jesus talks about divorce. How many of you love this message? <laughs> you're like, this is uncomfortable. Jesus says it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now I want to pause because divorce is a part of our society. Like I would say in this room we've all had either us or our family, someone we care about. Maybe you're sitting here right now, you've been divorced or you, you know, whatever. Jesus is actually, this isn't the only thing he says about divorce. Okay, he teaches about it in different parts of the Bible. And what he's speaking to specifically in this passage is, the, is the, the law. Because again, he's contrasting Mosaic law with the law of love. And he's not abolishing Mosaic law. What he's saying is you didn't get the spirit of it. You didn't catch it. In the Mosaic law, all a man had to do in a patriarchal society was have some reason to throw his wife away. So if she didn't please him, you didn't change the oil on the camel the way that I wanted. You didn't make the falafel the way that I wanted. You didn't hem my robes the way that I wanted. Therefore, I've written you a certificate of divorce. See, everyone? She has not pleased me. I have a certificate of divorce. And now we are divorced. And everyone would be, oh, yes, he's a very law, upstanding man. What a good fellow. And Jesus says, that's hogwash. Because Moses permitted, as he says in another passage, divorce only because of the hardness of your hearts. So Jesus says, actually, God had to make a he had to make an addendum in his law, what he actually wanted, because you suck so much. (laughs) That's what he's saying. You suck at loving other people so much that God had to create a category that he doesn't even want to exist to help you live. And so Jesus is speaking to the men, specifically in this instance. He's saying, hey, just because you think that you have a loophole in the law to ditch your wife when she doesn't meet your expectation moment to moment, that's not what God intended. And what you're actually doing is you're creating a, a loop of adultery here. You're, you're, you're not only are you hurting this beautiful woman that you made a covenant with, which is wrong on that level, not only are you breaking your covenant with another person on that level, but what you're also doing is you're forcing her to go and find some other guy to, to, to get into this relationship with and create another Situation where you'd have women that were being passed around from man to man in this society, and what Jesus is saying is, we don't treat people this way. Men, if you have power, don't treat people this way. Women, if you have power, don't treat people this way. Anyone that looks at the, the new anyone that looks at Christianity and says, "Oh man, it's so patriarchal or it's so you know, it's it's so against women," is foolish because the Bible actually is not feminist or uh, about about uh, the patriarchy what the bible is about is elevating human beings who are made in the image of god to a level of love and mutual respect and dignity to treat people how god would want them to be treated jesus goes on and talks about oaths and promises he says stop swearing on stuff because you know what you're doing when you do that is you're borrowing someone else's credibility in other words, you're such a liar and you're so untrustworthy that when you make an oath, you have to be like, I swear on Saturn. I swear on Chick-fil-A. I swear on my, my mother's grave. What? How does that make you anything more than what you are? And what Jesus is saying is if you have integrity and honor and a person of your word, your yes is yes, your no is no, that's all you need. But again, everybody hearing this is like, oh man. See, one of these things should absolutely be like a t-ball that your heart is sitting on that t-ball and these words are coming and it's like Babe Ruth swinging the bat and hitting that ball so hard that you can't breathe. That's what Jesus is trying to do here. This message that he's giving is meant to be provocative and revolutionary and get into your guts and rip them out. So you go, "I I can't even believe how far away I am from what he wants. Again, his truth is not to make us comfortable. It's to make us free from the lies that we think will lead us to fulfillment. Jesus talks about revenge. In verse 38, you've heard it said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. He goes on, he talks about don't resist an evil person. If somebody wants you to, to, you know, force you to go one mile like a Roman soldier, having you go one mile, go two. Go the extra mile. What Jesus is talking about here, he's not giving a mechanical description, again, of how to deal with insult and injury. Christians, some, some Christians throughout history have taken this passage to mean that we should be pacifists, that, there's the, you, know, that you should never, ever, you know, take up arms against another nation or whatever. And, and, I, and I disagree with that. I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. I don't think he's saying, here's how you mechanically deal with any time somebody does something wrong. I think what he's dealing with here, based in the context, in the same way we don't gouge out our eyes, but we take serious action, what he's saying here is that the right heart, the right spirit, is that you would stop trying to get even all the time. When you think about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, going back to the Garden of Eden, Eve saw it, she said it looks good. Uh, Her and Adam, they ate it and it made them, they they thought they were going to begin to think like God. What it did is it gave them the ability to keep score. So now human beings would say, you hurt me, I hurt you. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You scored two points against me, I got to get two points against you. You cut me off on the belt line, I can give you the middle finger. And this goes on and on and on. And here's the problem, though, is that we put ourselves in the position of judge, jury, and executioner when we think that we have the moral high ground to be able to judge a fellow human being and say, I know the score and I know how to hold you accountable to do the right thing. When the reality is we've already completely lost the game and we're at a deficit of a negative 40 billion. Jesus talks about this in the parable of the wicked servant. The servant is forgiven a debt that is unpayable. He goes and he holds another servant accountable for the $50 that he owes him. This is what we do when we go, you hurt me, you wronged me, you did the wrong thing to me, so now I'm going to get back at you. As we say, I know the score and I have the moral high ground to be able to, to even it. And Jesus says, no, you don't. He asks us, challenges us to embrace a heart of love and grace and forgiveness as our default rather than holding other people accountable when we ourselves do not wish to be held accountable for our own crime against God. I was talking to Pastor Mark the other day about an individual. I'm going to be careful with details, but someone who's guilty of a great crime was telling they could not forgive these other individuals that had committed a great crime. And the person is in prison for this great crime they committed, and it made me laugh because it's an absolute picture of the human heart. Here I am imprisoned for my great crime, and I'm standing in moral judgment of the other people in prison for their great crime, how I could never forgive them, and the irony is inescapable. And that's what we do when we think, I can hold you accountable for your sin. You did the wrong thing to me. I'll hold you eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. At some point, somebody has to break the cycle. Bethany and I had an opportunity several years ago to go to Belfast, Northern Ireland. If you're familiar with the history, they had the, the troubles between Catholics and Protestants. And uh, we, we drove around and they told us a story of how this neighbor, would, you know neighbor, Protestant neighbor, would kill, bomb the, the, the kid of the Catholic, and then the Catholic, would, they'd make a bomb, and they'd bomb them you know at the end of the day, everybody was either a Catholic or a Protestant, and they both had dead kids. And they built a peace wall, peace, so high that you couldn't throw a bomb over it. Could you imagine? Hey, what are you guys doing here in Springfield? Well, you know, we're building a peace wall. Why? Because people are trying to throw bombs over this. You know, make sure we build it high enough. At some point, somebody said, had to say, okay, my dead family, my, this a, a gr- grievance that I have, Where does it go? Do you realize that if we tried to make everything right, this is why the nonsense of woke culture, well, we need to make everything right between black people and white people. You can't. Well, that's not fair, you're right. You can't make things right between English people and Irish people. You can't make things right with Genghis Khan and the people you've never even heard of that his armies went through and raped and pillaged. Like, if you go back to the beginning of human history, you will always find a debt that is unpayable, which is why Jesus' act at the cross to pour his blood into the black hole of human sin is so meaningful. And the way of Jesus is to embrace the fact that somebody did pay the debt that someone owes you. It's not to say that your pain isn't real, that the crime that someone committed against you wasn't real, but Jesus is saying you either take, you either play in the economy of of life or you play in the economy of heaven. Like, you have to choose one side and that's why he challenges us as followers his followers to follow this law of love and be forgiving. It talks about loving your enemies. You've heard it said love your neighbor hate your enemy. I tell you to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Jesus time and throughout the Old Testament there was this debate because they were told in the Old Testament to love their neighbor. And so even in Jesus time somebody said to him trying to trick him, well who is my neighbor? And the question they were asking and the question we still ask is this, who am I allowed to hate? And Jesus said, you're not allowed to hate anyone. What about my enemies? Especially not them. Because if you do that, you're, if you love the people that like you and love you and treat you nice, you're just like everyone else. But if you love the people that do not like you or love you or act in a good way towards you, you're acting like God. And then Jesus finishes this chapter with a heavy mic drop. He says in verse 48, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this isn't just referring to this segment. He's referring to everything he said up until this point. You've heard it said, don't murder. I say, don't hate. Don't let anger be in your heart. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say to you, don't let lust be in your heart. And he goes on and on and on. And then at the end he says, here's the standard. You just have to be perfect. Bye, everybody. Do, do, do you see why they were, their minds were blown? Do, do, you, do you know why nobody wanted the sermon to end? Because what Jesus just said is, like, you can't get there from here. Because unless you're just, like, egotistical to the, to the nth degree, like, nobody thinks they're perfect. People are like, yeah, you know, I murdered 29 people, but um, nobody's perfect, you know. <laughs> but we know. We sort of resonate with this idea, like, we all are equal, at least in our sinfulness and lostness. And Jesus says, but the reality is to be part of God's kingdom. Like, do you realize in God's kingdom, we can't have people murdering people. In God's kingdom, where the will of the king, the range of his will and his goodness and everything is going God's way, like, we can't be lusting. In a good world, we're not going to have economic Oppression. In a good world, we're not going to have racial oppression. We're not going to have gender uh, battles of which gender is more powerful. You know, it goes back and forth and probably a little bit more heavily weighted towards men historically if you study it out. Just a little bit. But anyways, um, in God's kingdom, we're not going to have that inequity, inequality. And therefore, you can't have murderers and adulterers in heaven. And therefore, we don't get to be there. According to Jesus' standard, because the standard is perfect, be perfect. Look at this is what we think about righteousness. Show my paper airplane, please. This is what we think about righteousness. Now let's look at Jesus' perspective. Same, but different. (laughs) Jesus isn't teaching us how to how to be better at keeping the law. He's saying there's a new paradigm. Because you thought you could earn it, you could check the box. You can't. You got to be perfect. Three thoughts, and we're going to close about the law of love. This law of love, I believe, is the interpretive key to this passage in this sermon. What Jesus is trying to say is, I'm not after behavioral modification. I want to change who you are. I don't want to just change what you do because you feel guilty. I want to change who you are, your root motivation. And that's always what God intended. The law of love was always what God intended. Not just obedience, but people that want to obey not just checking boxes, not just operating out of guilt or fear, but operating out of intimacy with the father that you look like your father in heaven and you do what he does because you're of his paternity. With my children, I want them to obey, but you know what I want more? I want them to want to obey. Our son Jack's like, why do I have to clean my room? And right now, here's the level we're at because I said, but when he's 39 years old, he can't be at that level. In fact, he can't be at that level when he's nine, which is coming up in one year. We need him to graduate, you know. So with our kids, we, we get this, right? We don't just want behavioral modification. We want to change their heart. God doesn't just want you to act right. He wants you to get right on the inside, which means you have to embrace the full life of the Holy Spirit to become good, to become good, have God's peace and his shalom and his toe of the goodness of God operating on the inside of you. It's always what God intended. Number two. The law of love is impossible without a transformed heart. And this is saying the same thing in a different way. Like, you can't do this. Jesus said, be perfect. Well, we're not perfect. You have to be perfect. Well, how do I do that? Well, you have to have a new heart. And the Old Testament prophets spoke to this. I mean, like, it's absolutely incredible. I don't have time to read it all, but Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36. The Lord says, I'm making a new covenant with you. I'm going to put my words inside of you. I'm going to write them on your heart. I and mean, You're not going to have to teach each other how to follow God. You're all going to know me oh my God, that's so incredible. You're not going to have to work, you're not going to have to go to Joy Group and be like, hey, you should stop lusting. Like, you're going to go to Joy Group and you're going to be like, man, we're just doing good because we love God and he loves us and we know him and everything's good. Like, that's a beautiful thing. In Ezekiel, the prophet says, speaking what God wants to do, I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll put a new heart in you. I'll remove from you that heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm going to recreate. I'm not going to modify your behavior. I'm going to modify your heart. In Christ, we're transformed and born again and we're given the Holy Spirit to enable us to bear the fruit of the kingdom. The faithfulness, as Pastor Jess talked about a couple weeks ago, the fidelity of Jesus becomes our fidelity. Like this is the mystery and amazement of the gospel that Jesus paid the price for us and he, he, he met the standard of love, this impossible standard, and he gave his life for us and by our faith in him, we, like, we, we become the righteousness of God in Christ. So Christ's fidelity, his right standing, righteousness before God becomes ours. And when God looks at me, he doesn't see Jake, he sees Jesus. But then Jesus is looking at me saying, follow me. So there's this process where as a human being, I'm supposed to walk with Jesus and help become more like him. If Christianity was just like, say a prayer, God says you're good, check a box, go to heaven, it's really like pretty boring. But the, the adventure of a lifetime is that Jesus does save you and make you right with God, But then he invites you to become the type of person that will enjoy eternity with God. To invite you to become the type of person that would be a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Number three, the law of love elevates the standard but offers the hand of grace. And I say it this way. Though we stand in the grace of Jesus and the gospel is enough and we are made right with God through the gospel, through what Jesus did for us at the cross... We should not shirk the challenge of these words because Jesus was speaking this to his disciples and to us by extension. If you would follow me, you must take up your cross. This is the cross. To, to, to look and say, I am not judged by did I check the box. The judgment on my life and, 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 and doing the right thing and choosing day by day and living out in the particulars of life is did I diminish or demean a fellow image bearer through my lust. That I call someone nothing or say you deserve hellfire by calling them a fool because of my anger? Like, am I a murderer? Am I an adulterer? Am I an oath breaker in my heart? And if I'm following Jesus, then there should be a process and a, and a pursuit. If, I, if, if he's my father, if God is my father, then I need to, I, my heart should cry out for that paternity. And what would my father do? If my father is the devil and the things of this world, then there's no hunger and thirst for righteousness. But Jesus is saying, if you have a new heart, then there should be a new heart cry and a new pursuit that comes out of it. I'll finish with these words. Oswald Chambers said, the Sermon on the Mount is not some unattainable goal. It is a statement of what will happen in me when Jesus Christ has changed my nature by putting his own nature in me. Jesus Christ is the only one who can fulfill the Sermon on the Mount. It is not a set of rules and regulations. It is a picture of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is having his unhindered way with us. My friends, we're going to study this out over the next couple of weeks. Read it, three chapters, five, six, seven, and let God wreck you in the most beautiful way over the following weeks. Jesus, we come before you. I pray that this word would penetrate our hearts, be good seed, planted in good soil. God, I pray that we'd have the ability to eat the fish and spit out the bones. Lord, don't let Jake's personality, Jake's jokes, Jake's bad jokes, Jake's style, be in the way of what Jesus said, because Jesus, we just want to hear what you said. We just want to do what you want us to do. Pray there be no condemnation. Lord, we don't receive this message with anything other than what you meant it to be, which is a challenge to us to follow you, to see the standard. No, we don't meet it, but we, 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 but we are made right with God through faith in you. Lord, I pray that we drink deep of this cup of fellowship with you as we go through this series. Change our hearts. Reveal to us the law of love in Jesus' name. Amen. Real quick, I know we're out of time, but if you're here today and you say, Pastor Jake, I want to become a follower of Jesus. I am living for myself. I'm living in my own way, and I know I'm not right with God. You can make a decision right now to start the journey of following Jesus, and all I'm going to ask you to do is pray with me today. We're all going to pray together. So if you mean this in faith, we're going to give you some steps because, again, it's not just pray a prayer, get out, of, get out of hell free card. No, we're talking about a new life that God wants to birth in you, a brand new heart, So this is the start of a journey. Just pray this prayer with me. Let's all pray together. Dear Jesus, confess my sin to you. I know that I do not meet your standard. I have lived in an unloving way. And I ask for your forgiveness. I receive your grace and your forgiveness. Revealed to me at the cross, where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. In Jesus' name, everybody said... Amen.